Hello and welcome to this 75th MadAxman.com podcast. This week we've got a slightly diminished team of six as Dave is out walking the streets, serving the man, taking heads, counting numbers, but we also do manage to fit in an epic edition of I'm Sorry I Think You're an Ass, which covers the vexed subject of wargame shows. We dip into version four and some of the snippets for ADLG that have been released on the French forum. We have all the usual chit chat about painting and gaming. We also have a report on what we played this week. Andy's quiz makes an appearance and there's all the usual nonsense. But um, sit back, pin your ears back and get ready for the 75th MadAxman.com podcast, which is coming up now. This means war. I believe this might be episode 75. I think we had a double 73 last week in some strange way um, through the Mesoamericans and the the legendary um, return to form from, I'm sorry, I think you're an asked normal muttering episode and our, our ADLG banter as well. But but that's obviously exhausted poor Mr. Saunders as we're, we're Saunders free as he is now um, gainfully employed as part of the the enormous task force of people saving the country by making sure that the um, the census works, so so he's probably knocking on strange people's doors, and I'm here looking in strange people's windows on screen, really, and um, I think he's probably got the more normal end of the bargain. Um, I, I suspect out of that. So we're Saunders less, which means we've got a team of of six here. So without further ado, let's dive straight into the world of painting and. Um, center and center and middle for me, Mr. Finkel. What what is what painting has happened in that kitchen of yours? It looks like um, you've got some sort of plastic sheeting over your pots and pans on top of your cupboard. So have you been like you know going for it in a big way, splashing the stuff around, doing it kind of you know Jackson Pollock style on your your um, your Seleucids or whatever they were. Well, there's been a lot of Pollocks here in the kitchen, I can tell you. Um, but it's mainly cooking a lot of fish. Fact. Cooking a lot of fish. Yeah. Um, it's due to the fact that it's our Passover, so our normal pots and pans, which we use the rest of the week, we have to cover them because we can't use them this week. I'm not going to explain it all to you. Um, the, the, the rules of um, DBM are probably far more interesting. Um, but, far more um, straightforward, yeah. But, uh, and straightforward, I should think, yeah. But um, in terms of are you, painting... Are you doing Passover 3.0 or, th- or 2.1, possibly? Or does it not work like that? No, I haven't been, I haven't been officially, um, we haven't been officially informed yet. Um, but um, Okay, then, right. Um, it's 5,200 and something or other, probably. But um, there are what I have managed to do this week in between Passover and things like that is get painted all those museum figures which I was working on previously. So um, I've done a unit of hoplites or hoplites, since David's not here to correct me. Um, I've done a unit of Indian medium swordsmen, I've done four units of Greek cavalry figures, four units of Greek light cavalry with javelins, and two units of Scythian light cavalry with the noddy hats and bows. Okay. All done, painted, based. Fish bosh. Uh, so what, what gave you the um, the turbo boost to power through all of those then? Well, I was I was kind of doing over a period of weeks and doing bits here and there of different colours. So I'm doing a colour, I'll do it on all the different bases. And I had lots of lollipop sticks, which I was going over. And then I got to the stage where it just took a few more bits on each unit to finish it off. And before I knew where I was, I'd actually finished them. I did have three evenings where I could do bits of painting last week, 
which meant that I had a lot of um, able to make quite a bit of headway. And what I'm painting now is 24 figures of Saracen bowmen for my Nor uh, Normans and Sicily army. Okay. So go going back to those museum ones, because I had a, a long um, chat this week with a, a friend of mine who lives overseas about the museum figures on, um, I think, Messenger. I can, I can, I get lost with all the different platforms that you can talk to people on. But um, sort of where we went to was that he was saying he found it frustrating that museum put those amazing looking 3D renders and then the figures that you get don't look anything like that. Um, and I was kind of thinking, or, or my kind of argument was that possibly the figures do look exactly like the 3D renders, but because they're so teeny tiny in 15 mil, um, the detail that's on the 3D render that you see on screen is so shrunk down, it, it almost disappears. And um, I think Museum had put some, some, Dave from Museum had put something on his Facebook this week about redoing the Mycenaeans. And um, I chipped in and a couple of other people chipped in and said, could you just make the details a lot more exaggerated? But um, because the, the Persians that I've been doing once they're inked, you can absolutely see all the super fine detail is there. But if you just go a little bit OTT um, with a heavy heavy hand on the spray undercoat, mm. half it disappears. And it's it's kind of there, but it's not there, which is, is sort of um, weird. But where, where is your head at with them? Um, I didn't think they were quite as detailed as the um, samples shown on the website. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I wasn't too bothered by that because, yeah. I mean, at 15 mil, you're going to lose some of that anyway. The one thing I did find a bit difficult was the mounted all-in-one figures. It's more difficult to get all the detail or paint all the bits that you'd paint if they were separate, which in some ways is good, but in some ways you feel you're missing out on certain things that would pick up different colours. Yeah, one-piece castings are... Um... Yeah, are tricky, aren't they? In, in almost any, um, well, I, I suppose in any sort of period, one piece castings are, are tricky. That's been and any scale and any scale. Yeah, I suppose so. Or do you get them in bigger than? Well, you know, I I get them in tens and I, sixes. Do you get them in any bigger than fifteens? I think I have seen twenty and twenty eight. Wow. Okay. I guess is that where you start splitting yeah, the twenty eight? Quite waste? rare. I yeah. It's yeah. Old ones so probably more twenty five than twenty eight. Yeah, I suppose it must um must make casting easier, but it it I don't know. Do you, do you really Actually, lose no. that much? No, it wouldn't make casting e easier. No? Okay, I must admit I'm quite happy with them in terms of price point, quality, and overall package. I'm I'm very happy with them. So they're you know they don't feel so scruffy that you don't want to get them out on the table. So. Yeah, yeah, um, and uh, they should be hopefully turning up at a war games table in Bournemouth reasonably soon. A competition fairly near you soon. Okay, well, look, if we've mentioned if we've invoked the gods of Bournemouth, that probably means it's time to um to move over to Adam um and his world of of gluing plastic people um together. And I think that's a Adam, you're on mute. I'll say that before you even start talking, possibly. But um, yeah, I knew that. Uh, yeah, you knew that. I, I could see that. You, you just jumped at it. Your, your your finger lurched towards the screen in a disturbing sort of way. But but what's been happening in, in Bournemouth painting world this week? Well, plastic people and horses are indeed stuck together and uncoated, as Julie said, in black. So they're ready to go. And what I tend to do is 
I get my second batch up to the point where they're undercoated, then finish the first batch. When that first batch is finished, I'll then undercoat another one. Um, so I've started painting the ships. I've only done the decks, but the ships don't take too long because they are actually quite small, so it just doesn't take too much time to put paint on them. It probably takes longer to rig them. Are you, are you, um, are you doing their decks that colour that Dave was looking for? Uh, what was that? Deck ivory or something? Deck tan. Deck, deck tan. No, I, I, I tend to do um, a, a quite a light sand colour, not quite dunkel, gel, but um, partially dunkel. Because most decks, um, Age of Ironclads, Age of Sail, would be holy stone, a uh, wood holy stone. So they would be sort of like very well sandpapered wooden decks. Wood so holy stone? Is that a, a holy stone? Is just like a stone sandpapery type. It's like pumice stone, isn't it? Sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah it's, it's called holy stone. It's just scraping off the deck all the time. That's That was like one of the make work things, jobs that sailors had. So it's, I've done it in sort of like a dunkly galb, but not too dunkle. Um, yellow. I think, um, I think pine colour. Think of posh flooring. Because, because I, you know, I, I took the um, the wrapping off our garden furniture today, which always gives you that um, challenge of, do I wash the decking this year? And um, this year, the answer is no. Our decking's falling apart. We're barely going to get one more year out of it before it's going to have to all go. So well, that's um, where you get to play with power wash tools. I know it's tricky, but I actually got no problem. It's not tricky. No, no, no tricky at all. I, I just, I just. Did some hardball on it, but going back to toy soldiers, will it fit in the vortex thing? Yes, vortex mixer. Yes, yeah, two mil nozzle from Bosch <laughs> and Black and Decker. Um, so, so going back to pu deck pumice, then because I don't particularly fancy doing my decking with with pumice. Um, mm -hmm. But so you you were doing a pale pine sand color to do the decks of your. So do you do decks first or and then edges? Yeah, it's again, it's yes, yeah, sort of standard. I try to follow standard inside out. So mm -hmm. the deck's the most inside thing of a ship. Then I'll do the things on the deck. Then I'll do the masts and both for it. And then I'll do um, the hull. So do you find that you, because where you've got those joins of deck and vertical surface and vertical surface, I'm guessing while stabbing the dark here is gray. Um, do you find that you end up like doing repeated iterations of touching those things up to, or do you just do sod it? It's good enough. Or are you just a perfect painter when you do ships? Um, the um, the masts um, tend to be black. Um, ironclad masts tend to be um, painted black. Um, they they're not perfect by any means because what you've actually got is you've got just where the mast goes into the ship. You've got a small little sort of slope of aldite, to be honest. Um, and they're sand, and I'll paint to the bottom of them. Um, and I can sort of like do that quite accurately, but it's like. Um, because I've got, I've got my model ships. I've got two different types, really. Uh, all the model ships with ironclads. I've got um, the Skytrex ones, the um, uh, OK models. They're wargaming models, and I do them as wargaming war models. So I'm not too fussed that I've put aldite on to make the mask strong rather than making it flat and smooth. And the other ones I've got are from a German manufacturer called High. And, and they're precision engineered proper models and they come painted and they come 20 quid each and they're just beautiful. I mean, you can get a, a magnifying glass and go, oh, that is really, really very good. Um, and I've got quite a few of them. Um, and using them as war games models isn't really a done thing. Um, they're, they're collectors, you know what I mean? It's like what serious weird Germans collect. Um, but they look nice. So, but the ones that I'm doing now, 
Skytrax, Wargame Standard, because to be frank, um, and they're good enough models, but they're not much more than Wargames models anyhow. So, um, I've how many stuff. of these ships do you have? As a matter of interest, um, about uh, I've got about. Um, have you got uh, more than the actual ironclads existed in the first? No, place? I've got I've got about um, fifteen French, oh. about another twelve um, twelve Russians. And I've got five or six British that I'm painting up a few more. So about 30. So you nearly one to one then? Um, no, there's hundreds of buggers. Because um, remember, it's, it's going from 18. I've got some sort of like 1850s um, screw line of battleships um, before the Ironclads. And it goes, I've got ships from um, the 1850s all the way up to the 18, early 1890s. So which Sorry. ones are easier to do? The ones that are just normal sailing ships or the ironclads or the ones past ironclads? Oh, the past ironclad, the, the, the mastless ones. Once you get to the period where you're not doing masts, it kind of gets So you, have you done some of the PT boats, the, the ones we were on about, the... Um, um, the Cruel Seas. Full, Cruel Seas ones as well? No, it's... Um, I've got... I've got World War II... Oh, no... The PT, no, I've, I haven't done that. I've looked, um, I've looked at it, but from everything that I've read, basically, um, the narrow seas type, um, shallow seas type game, um, it's been around for a long time. And when reading reviews of that, for people that know what they're talking about, they say, yeah, it's all right, but there are better sets of rules out there. So if I was going to do it, you don't have to get wall or gate models because they're sort of like too big, really. Um, to fit on the table properly and have a game. Um, there are better rules. So if I was to do it, I probably wouldn't do cool seas anyhow. But that's not something that um, has ever um, really attracted me. Naval gaming like big ships. Um, they will be steaming around slowly and, and lobbing shells at each other from great distances. But the ironclad, are they steaming around or are they sailing? Do you get like an extra boost in the rules or something? They're, uh, they're in battle, they're steaming. In battle, they're steaming, sailing. Early ironclads um, were fully masted, so if they were travelling long distances, they would sail. But if they were going down, um, if they're going into battle, there, there was actually an order which was um, down screw up funnel. So you would put your so funnel. So does that mean you like go, do like a strategic move uh, of sailing, strategic move before you then start steaming in? That would be campaign. That would be campaign. Um, because it takes it takes a while to get the ship ready for battle. So no, it's like you took. Any game I've played, you don't you have extra with. rules about running out of coal and things? Um, no, you can do if you want, but fuck that. It's but just like that, that's, too hard. That's, I that's the, main, the main advantage of painting in that era is that every lunch, every 12 o'clock, you get to give yourself a total of rum. Um, yeah, that doesn't really help my painting technique at the best of times, though. Um, <laughs> Sounds good, though. Makes you more tolerant of mistakes, though, I imagine. Um, yeah, the well, thinners. It's, it's, it's a funny thing. I, I'm more than willing to forgive myself um, for my own mistakes. Um, um, anybody else, not so much. But no. yeah, no. And, it's on, right. and on that note, I think um, Peter, we should, we should definitely come to No, you. no. Oh, I've no, got, there's more. I've got oh, more there's more. Rules. This oh, is wait, there's more. But, um, yesterday, because I didn't think I was going to work this week, but yesterday I got a phone call um, early evening saying, um, do you fancy working half a day in a school, which was kind of close to employment? Um, and it's like I wasn't doing anything and I didn't have to pick my children from school up until quarter past three. So, it's, yeah, I'll do that. So as I was going to be going not too far away from employment, um, I accidentally ordered 60 quid worth of figures and went and picked them up on the way home. So um, I'm now the Go proud on. owner of a box of um, 
the Merce, the Perry Mercer, the European Mercer, the world's best box set of figures. Yeah. Oh, they're fantastic! Um, the plastic amazing. mercenary ones. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've got two uh, of those. They they are crazy. You can do all sorts with it. Yeah, and I got Foot Knights, and I got um, English, uh, or I got War of the Roses Longbowmen for me, Ordnance Arch- Archers as well. So, um, sort of like most of the money I am working, um, I just went down and gave to a toyman. That's good. Well, look, if you um if you look at all those sprues and all those bodies and stuff and. If you need any spare arms or things with javelins and swords that are not in the box that you want to morph from Romans, give me a shout because I've just got a, a little box full of small plastic arms from. Uh, I mean, all one weird history, but one good, well, well, one one slightly annoying thing about that is because there's this thing about the more sort of like especially plastic figures you do, you get leftovers, so you get to yeah. swap and you get to do interesting things. And I'm starting to get loads now, and I keep looking at it going, oh, just. Um, no, it can't, either can't be asked or it doesn't doesn't work because it's. Um, I've got Mongol cavalry, I've got legionnaires, and now I'm doing completely different. So maybe, although I did, um, I did manage to put uh, Dacian heads on those um, ghouls you gave me, so they do look convincingly, unconvincingly Dacian. But yeah, I've got because I've sort of like collecting all this spare stuff myself, and now I've just got loads and loads of plastic in a box that's probably going to sit there forever. You spend more time working out which bit goes with what. No, but it's, it's odd though because I've I'm painting up these fifteen mils ice and Thracians at the moment, and I've got those Thracian conversions using the Dacian heads and the the Greek bodies. Um, so I've got the same figures sat next to each other in two different scales, um, which is like this is very weird. So I'm trying to think. It's a lot easier to paint the um, the designs on the cloaks on the big ones, isn't it? For some reason, I can't kind of quite get my head around that. But but literally, yeah, I've got. Well, in 15 you're old, it's your eyesight's going, Tim. Yeah, I think that's it. So have you managed to glue any um, any of your aged fingers together this week? I, I, I glued many things, some of which actually involved models. Um, it, it was... Sign- I remembered why Aradite annoyed me because it takes so bloody long to um, uh, dry and fit and everything else. And fortunately I, I posted on the, on the WhatsApp and then uh, Adam said about the super glue. So um, a few I tried with the dot of super glue, then the Aradite and they went okay. The others, um, uh, my dog jumped up and um, wings went everywhere. Uh, let's say. <laughs> uh, so you had a That's, bizarre uh, dog incident. The weekend is um, redoing a whole bunch of things, including I suddenly need uh, a couple of new um, javelin, uh, not javelins. Uh, uh, what do they call them? The, the um, lances, the possibly lances. That's it, lances, not jousts. Uh, lances, because um, um, they're very fragile. Those I'm finding. Um, so I, I, I might not be, bought so a like, brush head yet to to snip them off. What snip? What actual, off? An actual broom brush head to. Snips and no, stuff. what do I want to have that for? You know, where, where are they? We don't have that. I suppose your servants do that, that you know, the cleaning up outside. Yeah, we, we've got people for that sort of thing. Yeah, you know? we've got people. Yeah, we, we, we have people. Um, Thinly I'll clothed plumbers, them. they come and do their street yeah. sweeping bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a bit sort of like you know, when you spend like a good hour and a half and it's it's works a bit crazy at the moment. So I was like, I carved out some time and I went, I'm just going to sit here quietly and have a go at it. I was like going, it's not doing too bad, but stuff's just not setting. It's doing my head in. And then I, I did, 
went on the WhatsApp and uh, Adam came back quite nicely and said, no, 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 do this with the super glue, et cetera, et cetera. I was like, oh, okay, great. Okay, that's working. Put it down, went to get a coffee. Dog jumps up, smack. Oh, shh. Yeah, the dog got learned some new words. Um, yes. <laughs> but after that, I was like going, I'm going to put it aside now because I'm a little bit frustrated. So this is another week before you're even able to get to an undercoating stage with the hussars. Uh, yeah, um, because then I was back onto PowerPoint slides, which is awfully boring. But, you know, I, it's strong, too strong a dose of reality, unfortunately. You're okay. doing PowerPoint slides of how to stick hussar wings on. Um, not hazard wings. It's how to stick different groups together, but that's a different story, and various spreadsheets. Yes. Oh, super so, was, was, so, was, so, has your entire painting week been assembling some hazard wings, and then having that screwed over by your dog? Yeah, basically, uh, basically blown out of the way. I was going to um, have a break and then just do the undercoat and everything else. Have it already, you know, because usually with this sort of stuff, you, you know, um, I let them set for twenty four hours. Um, because then you spray and it's not going to mess up because I find sometimes when you spray undercoat and things are still setting it doesn't actually let it dry properly so it becomes brittle um, yes. so I was wanting to right I was going to stick them all together get them all ready get them all go then I can undercoat and everything else in, in a day because I was like wow nice weather as well yeah kind of blown out the window with that okay so, uh, so it's slim, a week of slim pickings, but uh, so that means we've got to go to someone who's probably done quite a lot. And I'm just going to go, Tamsin, let's just pick you out random out of the lineup and um, let's see what you've been up to this week with your basing of the six yeah, mil people. Comes up. Yeah, oh, look, it's an army. Yes. Well, half of uh, what you can see is half of what I painted. I think last week, that's my monthly output. Last week, I finished painting them and did varnishing the next day after we recorded and got them all onto the base and finished for basing on Sunday, I think it was. Oh, that's really nice. They, yeah, they, they look cute. They do yeah, super so cute. So, in a minute, you're going to see a couple of. Minor, like the some of those that. flags have got. Um, some of those flags have actually got designs on them. Uh, please tell me they're printed. They're printed. Oh, thank the Lord for that. Wow. The, the yeah. blue pops nice now. That blue really is that scary. There? That was Vallejo's. I it's blue or intense blue. Can't remember. Not that we were okay. talking about the how many yeah. different blues have you got last week, but you know mm. that is quite well, nice. Know, one. I think you um you lose some points for it not being you lose some points for it not being humbrol, but I think that's last week's podcast, so we'll let you move on. Yeah, uh, do you um dry brush those then to pick out the the bits on the edge of the horses then, or are they just straight? Have you painted the hooves on the six mil horses? I've painted the socks. The hooves just end up, but I have the colour of a base effectively. So no. Wow, we. Uh, no, I think it. on a couple of the figures here, you can see that I actually missed when I was when I was doing the basing. I didn't spot on a few of them that. The basing mix had gone up legs or backs of figures, so I need to go back, go back through and with sort of it. No, you don't. No, you don't. This is this is one of the great problems of photographing war games figures and then blowing them up. They always look worse once they're in. Um, but mud in always comes up horses anyway. Yeah, I suppose you can see now. You can see a couple of the horses have got sand oh, some sand up the bases. Yeah, legs. yeah. That's that why they get brushed happen, down afterwards. That's why yeah. horses get brushed down when you bring them in. Yeah. Uh, so I'll leave this running. Uh, so this during this week, slideshow running. I this week 
I'd said I'd placed orders either bases, I'd order stuff I'd order for more bases, so bases and a couple of other bits. And foam trays from products of war game has arrived on Wednesday. That's uh, really quick, first, isn't it? Thursday or Friday, figure yeah, either US power reinforcements I'd ordered from North Star also arrived. So got the, okay. I've got those all prepped. And when when we get to the end of the Confederates, which you're just starting to see now. Yep. That's I used to where I've got got to with 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 the, with the US powers. And uh-huh. while, I, while I had base oh. Suddenly, had a thought. Oh, just a second. Those Confederates are awesome. They really oh, are. Paris, which I think I bought during lockdown 2.0. Okay. This is the one where you accidentally bought another company. And I got those based, uh, stuck those on bases as well. And you're all looking good, so mate. Your, your Confederate artillery there are in sort of greys and browns, and they've got little red bits around their caps. Is that artistic license or is that a real thing? That was a real thing. Yeah. Damn. I think in theory they had different colour caps that I brought to service, didn't they? caps had a red band round for, for artillery, yellow band for cavalry, and thin blue piping for infantry. I have to go back and um, I might have to go back and redo some of my 10 mil then, because that gives them a real extra little bit of colour, doesn't it? Because normally yeah. that's an army of just grey. That I think yeah. was a theory. I could go back and do my 15 mil. Yeah, 10 mil. I can, I can just about do this sort of detail in 10 mil that you've done in six there, really, which is quite um, quite. Fun. So is this a, a rule set that in, when you've got dismounted um, cavalry, it has the horses on the bases? Do they do they move and fight as a dismounted unit rather than swapping them in and out? Um, I'd, sw- I'd swap a dismounted base of dismounted cavalry for a base of mounted cavalry if, that, if it came to that. I can't, I can't remember what... The, What's in the rules? Oh, the rules actually that. work, right? <laughs> okay, so, so yeah, there's just so many of them. So yeah, no, they do look like proper little squadrons there of um, of people with those uh, very effective little two tone flags for sure. Yeah, the kudons are actually quite easy to paint on. Paint, yeah. paint like that. So. Go back to the Paris. I think you've got a full company now. Yeah, I, I think your um, your mouse must have slipped, and you ordered a few more in um, on the sly. From those. Yeah, I saw that, and it's like that's that isn't, a, that isn't a just whole company. Bases, is it? Yeah, with reinforced um, heavy weapons platoon. So on the left hand, where the mouse is, where the cursor is now. Yep. You see the cursor? Absolutely. No, so we got a load yeah. of paras. There looks yeah, like so a lot the of back men there. Those eight. You got two bazooka teams and four BARs. This is bazooka teams for a battlefield in which the Japanese didn't field tanks. Yeah, they did. Pillar, they, oh, they had eighteen did. tanks. Oh, right. Yeah. You'll see the blowing up bunkers and things, couldn't you? Yes, that was the main yeah. bit. Uh, but I think that'll be for if I use them later on. Uh, you got sort of a casualty base there, which will be a jump off point probably for the chain of command. You've got a couple of specialists there. So I think there's medic, sniper, forward observer, and an engineer. Then you've got a platoon, but missing two figures at two rifle, riflemen in the HQ squad because mm. I found out after, at the end when I was facing everything up, oh damn it, missing two but missing two rifles Oh, yeah, so but... then that's why you buy the pack of ten and get the next extra Yeah, so I might need to buy buy another pack, yeah Yeah, no, you might well do yeah. Yeah. So you're okay. saying the riflemen packs are a gateway drug? Yeah, yeah they are, they are um, Have you done the texture on the bases before undercoating here? 
Yes. Or not? You have? Yeah. Okay. And it's is that... I, I think then you don't, I, you don't risk, it's less risk to risk of messing up, messing up a paint job. Yeah, that's true, actually. Yep. No, I think it, uh, the big scar figures, yeah, that's it's, it's, doing, isn't it's it? easy enough to do that when it's sing, on singly based figures. Yeah, yeah. But I have on done that on, on group based figures as well. Uh, okay. One army. So the, this and is the picture sort of, of them un, un undercoated. Has the weather been good enough over the last couple of days for you to to get them undercoated yet? Or well, you, you see spray? that thing at the back. Yeah, that's my air, airbrush spray booth. Mm -hmm. So you you're I, weather I, agnostic. I, I airbrush prime. Right, you're weather agnostic then. Damn. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So middle board, you got a full platoon, and you got a sustained fire machine gun team. So that. That will either be or tripod mounted, so it, I'll use it either as medium or heavy machine gun, depending how I feel. Mm. And on third board, you got the Polish paras. Were there Polish paras in um, in wherever it was? No, they weren't in New Guinea. But I thought, no. well, I've got what I've got. What I'm doing, doing the basing and basing, might as well get them out. Do a bit of Arnhem get stuff because it's, as well. is it Arnhem? Is it the anniversary of Arnhem next year? Um, or something or is it no it was that, 75th anniversary to uh 2019 so it's a couple of years i know a lot of poles did um italy with monte casino and things i don't know if polish paras were there no, no mountain polish, troops, Para, polish Para brigade was only saw action at uh arnhem well arnhem and right. nightmaking area actually no that was it it was the um it was the para para landing to take the bridges on the rhine was sometime i think it was this week this week just gone which, yes. um, which Verity was it called? Varsity. 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 Yeah. And that was, it's, it was that a bigger para landing than Arnhem? Yeah. And, yes, and it, it worked. Was, it was, it was, was it? Uh, yes, it was overall. Yeah. But I suppose it wouldn't be quite such a dramatic a title for a film. Largest parachute drop in one day. Yeah. You know, but the fact that bridge. they were already over the Rhine by that point. It yeah. wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be called a bridge too far. It'd be like several bridges that we all managed to achieve quite comfortably. Yes. Well, not landing, really... not landing on an SS Panzer division kind of helps. Yeah, yeah. I suppose if you drop more paras, you're going to miss some sometime, aren't you? Well, they were slightly degraded by then. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Um, right, yes, we'll, uh... I'll we'll be doing the priming tomorrow. As I said, that'll be black pr black primes using airbrush. And, and then they'll uh, be done by the time I'll, we talk I'll next week. Do, I'll, I'll start off doing a couple of test fig, test figures just to see how the painting team works. Okay. Um, launching onto doing doing a full platoon. This means war. So then, so um, Simon, I think you're obviously up next. Let's go Antipodean um, and dial you in from your kitchen. So, so tell us how your week of painting has it been quite as inspiring as, as Tamsin's finishing a whole American Civil War army? Yeah, nothing as inspiring as Tamsin, um, but I have managed to complete five units of um, Macedonian companion cavalry. So I've done the four four companion cavalry without a general, and I've done a separate unit with a general included. Yeah. When you're on the museum website, you find they have bags of generals. So you need to buy one or two, just so you can really make it obvious 
that has a journal included. That one doesn't. Wow. And are those um, are those new companions? I'm trying to think whether I've seen the, the companions yeah. in the new range or are they old range? These are the, all the new range. So like what you were saying before of the, they look really good with the, the computer generated skull. Yeah. But when you get hold of them, the detail is quite fine. So yeah. when I was looking at, say, the, um, the, the, the pikeman and also the cavalry, you could see the chest plate. You know, you could see a little bit of detail, but especially around the, the waist and hips where you'd see all the leather tassels and the flap things, the detail is very, very fine. And, if you, yeah. and I did um, note when I um, base coated a little bit, a lot of the detail disappears. With a wash, it does come out. Yeah, if you were a little bit too um, enthusiastic, you would lose a lot of detail. They still look quite nice, but the detail compared to some other ranges, um, the museum ones is definitely more suited for someone who can do light washes rather than using more of the ham-fisted approach that I sometimes do. Yeah, I, I say it's kind of, I feel like four different emotions about them. I, you know, I like... Hmm. The fact that they're done they are actually nice poses the yeah. detail is there but it's not seeing the 3d render is good but it's bad and it's it's you know but ultimately they're still low price nicely posed oh, yeah. figures that when they're, they're packed together they look fine yeah so i think of like if i compare them to say um lancashire models who make cheap price point the quality is not as good as museum but because they are slightly rougher models, they do, because um, they've got lots more um, depth to them, yeah. they do lend themselves to a bit of a hand-fisting painting style. And with a wash, they can't, you know, at three foot, you look at them and go, actually, they look really good. I They're couldn't the tell anyway. the difference to Legia Heroica in the painting that I can do compared to, say, Saunders or Tamsin. Then you look at, say, Essex miniatures. So you, you, you've added an extra pound, pound 50 per pack of miniatures. And the detail is sort of similar. So, you know, it really comes down to what, which ones you like and which uh, troops suit the style of painting and the type of army you want to design. Yeah. I like museum. I've been, you know, they were my first historical army I ever bought back in Australia. I bought um, early Imperial Roman Museum and have been hooked with them ever since. Um, they're quite nice. They're just simple. They work. Yeah, three pounds. And actually, two I, I kind of feel that pounds. you know you're sort of you're supporting a good initiative. Yeah, and um, you know that three D rendering is just it's just a good idea. And you know, I I'm, I'm really conflicted looking at these versions. It's like yeah. they're great, but but they're very thinly detailed. But, yeah, um, I guess it's what you expect out of them, really. Yeah. One of the things I thought was quite neat, and I guess this is a, a part of the advantage of using the 3D models, is it allows museum miniatures to leverage very good poses for different armies. So mm. if I look at the general in the Alexander the Great Army, it's the same cavalry pose as the Roman Imperial, Imperial Roman general. Same horse, same pose. The only difference really is, yeah, you know, the Roman one, both have got the legs exposed. The Roman's got a slightly different, you know, chest plate, waist and skirt and all that stuff and different helmet and sword. But 90% of it's quite similar. So I'm guessing for him, it, because you can do it all electronically, you get a good model. You go, right, I'll keep that for the general. And then you can just value add on to 
you're now Greek, you're now um, um, Roman, you're now this, you're now that, rather than having to, to make a fresh green mold every time. So you can change things and use a, a really good model quite quickly. It's kind of like Lego people and popping on different hats, isn't it, for them, yeah. I guess, sort of thing. But so, um, it all goes to so has, the, been, the, yeah. has so, yeah, companions? Yeah, that'd be the main just, piece of work. Just the companions, but I think that, you know, when you get them on table, they're going to look quite good because I use a couple of the different packs. I've got some with the javelmen look, uh, charging in, other ones with this, uh, the, um, the javelmen or lances pointed upwards, a couple of generals, and so you get quite a dynamic looking pack rather than the usual monopose of charge. Yeah, I, I must admit, I, every now and then I look at my Essex companions and think, should they go in, you know, the dip box and be redone? Because I, I think I did them a long, long time ago. But, you know, I'd say you're only ever using kind of half a dozen. I think, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think for me, for me this week, I've said a couple of times, I've been, I've got sucked into doing too many projects at once. Um, I've just got too many things on the go, which I think is a problem for, for mass undercoating. You end up with loads of stuff that's undercoated because you just do an undercoating blitz over everything you think i'm going to stick it all on the pop sticks and i'm going to undercoat a lot and then i'll have that all done and i can come back to them. then you go well i'll start doing that one i'll start doing that one so i'm still wading through these sparabara and arches and just giving them loads of different bits of color and experimenting with patterns to go on them as well i'm still dibbling away at these 10 mil figures as well i've got eight um experimental sort of italian communal mix spear and bowman that were re-dipped and then i keep going to these um zeist and thracians which are really really nice to do them um but they're black undercoated the others are white undercoated that's different and then i've also got some legio heroica um ottomans as well that when i've got the red paint out or the green paint out and it tends to be paint color dependent if i've got a color that i think this will work across a load of them i'll tend to do a lot with that particular color and i'll do the Ottomans and some of the you know Persians and some of this some of the medievals and then other colors you go no this is a color just for the Thracians it's kind of a dirty khaki green they're kind of hillmen and, and stuff like that and bosch but but it just means that if I was to actually count the number of figures that I've got that are part painted um and are sort of underway there's there's probably something ridiculous like kind of 120 of them across three or four different ranges and it's a real it's a real challenge but but I did manage to get eight um, Legio Heroica um, Arab clubmen painted up this week that have been hanging on for a while using some contrast paints and stuff like that. Um, using, I think it's Skeleton Horde on white. Arab as clubmen. The for, yeah, Arab clubmen. You've got to explain about Arab clubmen. Yeah, it sounds called, like something in the West, Man, West End. No, no, they're, um, they're Al-Saria clubmen. I think they're in one army. It might be the Seljuks or the one of those um, Egyptian somethings. One, and it's one unit of, um, I think, medium two-handed cutting weapon men that we use to club people. Um, I don't know what. And, and it's so like, this, this is your random unit that comes in to surprise people? Well, possibly. But if you're fielding that army, you're going to go, oh, you've got a clubman, aren't you? Because they're cool. And... Um, and it was a figure that Lee Joe Heroica did. So when me and Dave did that order before Christmas, before Brexit, it was like, what What else can I order? I'd order those because they're kind of cute. And they've got, you know, sticks with big square metal things on the end of them that, um, you know, would, would knock your head square. 
um, rather knock it off. And um, and they're just cute little figures. So so I've got those, and there were eight of them, but I chucked all eight on a forty by forty base to because I think you can sort of use them as heavy infantry as well. So, so you're not doing fifty by fifties then? No, not fifty by fifties this time. No, we'll we'll save that until the until version five comes out. I think that will probably be the step change for version fifty by fifty. So so there's just been a lot of stuff that's kind of been moving forwards but nothing other than this one unit has been been resolved but i can kind of see that i'm getting to a tipping point with either the thracians or the persians that at some point they would just get close enough to being done and then it'd be like they're in touching distance of being done i'm going to get them sorted um but you know maybe it'll be driven by by some of the stuff in the new rules or whatever or maybe it'll just be one of them gets that bit closer but but other than that it's been been doing some actual proper diy um outside so so i might have to paint part of the fence as well but um and i i do sit there thinking would it be better if i undercoated it in halford spray paint first would that would that make the paint stick better to the um the wood but but possibly not so so yeah other than that it's been not a lot actually finished and achieved but but a lot of things kind of moving forwards on um on the painting front this week that's kind of what I did when I was painting all these um, museum figures. I didn't look like I was getting anywhere, but if I picked up a color, I think, which figures can I use this color for? And almost surreptitiously, you find that, as you say, there comes a tipping point and then they're almost done and they're at a stage where you can finish them quite easily. Yeah, well, that's what I'm hoping. Hoping comes into action, but I mean, it just still feels quite a long way off at the moment as I keep staring at these. Um, these Persians with different types of inks and, and different types of paint techniques all over them. And, um, and it's, yeah, when I start doing the patterns as well, that's going to be another, another world of pain, um, I think to, to get done, but, but, you know, that's, that's the pain of painting. And, and I think that probably means it's time to um, move on to our next, always um, angrily pain, the pain of anger, possibly in, in terms of features. And um all step aside for this week's episode of I'm sorry I think you're an ass. Coming up next on Madaxman Radio, it's I'm sorry I think you're an ass, the antidote to informed discussion shows. At the piano this week is Scott Joplin, and your chairman is Sir Humphrey Humphreys. Hello and welcome everybody to this week's edition of I'm Sorry, I Think You're an Arse. You join us this week from the Cosmos Concert Hall in Great Snoring, Fakenham in Norfolk. Located in the east of England, visitors can climb to the top of a nearby church spire where they'll be greeted with a view encompassing seven different counties. On a clear day, it's sometimes even possible to catch sight of Norwich off in the distance, despite the many prominent warning signs advising against this. But we're here in this glorious venue, and um, without further ado, I think I will cede the floor to to Mr. Adam to um, to tell us what what's been bugging you this week. What is what is the theory that you're putting in front of us? Well, when you say what's been bugging me this week, it's actually what's been bugging me for the past three decades. Um, to be perfectly honest. And I just want to point out earlier on when you said um, it's going to be angry, I've just got to say I'm not angry. 
I'm just disappointed, okay? The topic this week that I want to talk about is war game shows, war, game, war games conventions, and why they're just so rubbish, to be honest. Now, before I get on to what I want to say about it, for the people, people listening, that probably is at least plural now, which is which is good. The people listening, I just want to say what how how we sort of like sort out doing um, this part of the podcast is we have a chat on what is up, saying oh I've got a subject, I'll talk about this subject, and this time round, I said yeah I'll talk about war, war game shows, war games conventions, and then just because I said that on the what is up group, um, I just want to read out a couple of replies I got. It's not prompting and. This isn't me sort of saying, give me, tell me bad stuff about war game shows. This is just what people that I'm talking to now, without any prompting, um, gave back. And bear in mind, I'm supposed to be the um, the the unsubtle one. I'm, I'm supposed to be the one that sort of like it says what I feel about war gaming things. But this isn't me, okay? This isn't me. This is one of the sort of like more um, diplomatic members of the group, okay? So the first one is on the subject of why war games conventions are so rubbish the first first reply unprompted i got was demo games participation games trade is all selling the same thing crap sandwiches made by someone's wife with thinly sliced tomato that's sold cheap because we're all tightwads even though we can all afford proper food lots to go for there even before we get to the war gamers have no no social skills and they all stink right that is one from one of the um more um, laid-back, um, charismatic members of the group. Um, that, that's that's what they replied. Now, I would like to point out, most of that I agree with, um, especially about the crap food, but I would just like to say, when um, Attack used to be held at the Corn Exchange in Devizes, um, the catering there, they did a mean bacon sandwich. So overall, it is crap, but a big shout-out to the devices catering massive okay because that you're is you're saying to you're saying to a big shout out to one item on the menu at one venue that that venue hasn't been used for nearly a decade well that kind of proves my argument which i'm going to get on to but uh, that is genuine that I'm, I'm not putting that in to prove my argument that is that was a good bacon sandwich okay now uh, um, before you move on i'm just going to say so food artisan so for show ground food fair it's good. Okay, right. I've never been out. I'll take your word for it's, it. It's not even close. I mean, even Simon was happy with the vegetarian stuff when we were in Rome. I mean, you know, we won't even talk about celery stew. But That wasn't know. a trade show, though, Peter, was it? That was definitely not a trade show. But that, was, that was an Italian games. restaurant in Rome. Yeah, no, yeah, it that wasn't. Was an Italian that, restaurant no, that in Rome. was where we were having the war games. Um, yeah. Uh, Worlds for ADLG. Yes, it wasn't a trade it show. It wasn't a trade it, show. It wasn't a war games trade show I think at all. You can always sum up a good war gaming show by we were at a BritCon a few years ago and we had a, a couple of Swedish gentlemen over and they commented on Do you guys have any other food color than yellow? And beige. Yeah. Beige. <laughs> and you know, beige. after three days of looking at beige color. Which sounds especially yeah. like that Chinese restaurant we went to one time in Burton. That, um, no, the I think that was too- brown, wasn't it? That no, was it was Chinese the restaurant in Burton. Just asking for it anyway. That might have been Humbrol 155 Olive Trav, actually. But again, enough. But God, the the restaurant in Burton I mean, And this is a point. This, this, although in a way this proves my point. I'm saying sort of like war gaming food, war, war gaming conventions are crap. You've just taken a small, unimportant piece 
of war games conventions and completely ripped it apart. So again, this is all fuel for the fire. Now, the next reply after that one of that's not even before we get on to the social skills and the spell is this is a more personal story and I can feel this person's pain. Okay, this is their reply. Um, the scrum to get to the bring and buy where most of the product is crap. And if you're trying to sell something, you have to queue up behind some smelly oik in a grimy anorak. It was a carrier bag full of crudely painted Warhammer vehicles, all of which he is selling individually. And he doesn't have a pen on him and is not filled in the booking in form. Now, that sounds like true story. That sounds like someone's real. That's, that's mandatory. Those people are hired to be part of the queue for every bring and buy. Surely. Uh, that sounds like Reading. Each time I go to Reading, you see those people. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. This is sort of like, this is the common experience of Wargame. We go to Wargame shows, but even when I said, oh, I'm going to do something on how crap they are, even without me prompting, two people went, yeah, 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 yeah. This, this is my experience. Okay. Now, and my reply to that... I, I, I actually think to... that may be the reason why eBay has grown so successfully. It's that person who queues with a bag full of single-painted Warhammer vehicles and bring them by. Quite possibly. Well, and but you don't have to deal with them. That's the real, genuine experience of Wargame shows. But I now just want to read out my reply to these two, to these two what is up messages. My reply was, all true, but all minor annoyances. I mean, that... That is all a pain in the ass, but that's not even that's just getting into the foothills of the genuine crapness that is war games conventions and war game shows. Okay, now the title of this it's not a run actually. The title of this, um, the title of this measured, uh, measured, thoughtful, um, argument is war game shows. What's the fucking point of them then? Okay, because they're pointless and. That's not even the worst thing. The worst thing is why I actively dislike them, but I'm going to save that to the end. Now, my main argument is this. War game shows now are basically the same. They do basically the same things that they did in the 1970s and 1980s. Now, as we discovered last week, there were some things in the 1980s that were crap in the 1980s and are crap now, okay? Um, mullets, Fundus, Findus Crispy Pancakes, Humble Paints. Yeah, it's true, Tim. Don't just pull that face, okay? Crap then. We just knew no better. They're still crap now. Now, there are some things that were good in the 1980s that are crap now, okay? Um, that would be... Rolf Harris? No, no. That was... So, was always uh, like... your premise is you've grown up, all game shows haven't? No, 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 no. I No, it's not about me growing up. There are some things that were crap that were good in the 1980s that are crap now. Um, ZX Spectrums, ZX Spectrum, Grange Hill war game shows were all good in the 1980s. Okay, ZX Spectrum, Lords of Midnight computer game on ZX Spectrum for the time and place one of the all-time great computer games ever made. Crap now, okay. Um, Grange Hill, Zamo's um, the story of Zamo's descent into drug addiction. Petty crime and overdose. Just say no. Before he dies, Just say no. We was, all remember it. Precisely. Was brilliant for its time. Okay. It, it gripped. It gripped my young teenage soul. But, but, but now, what about Tucker? No, it, it just before my time, a little bit too old. But now I would say it's a bit crap. He was rubbish on Dancing on Ice as well. So, yeah. War game shows. At the time, they did some things that were necessary. Okay. They did some things that were useful. Okay. But now. They don't say the crap. What the war game shows, what did they do and what do they do now? Now, the big thing about war game shows in, in the past 
was you get to turn up and you get to see stuff before you buy it. Instead of paying for, instead of paying £2.50 in postal orders for the Minifigs catalogue, which was fucking brilliant. I love the Minifigs catalogue, okay? It was like that thick and it was just full of fun rough with all their own. And then what you do is you go through the catalogue and then you fill in your letter and you so, get your mum. So what, what you're check. basically saying is instead of um, video killed the radio star, it's internet killed the war game show. Well, again, let me develop the argument, mate. That's one of them. So just get back in your box, get back in, back in your penthouse suite, wherever it is you're hanging out at the moment, Peter, and listen, okay. So go, going to war game shows, being able to see figures, being able to fondle figures before you handed over your cash, this was a really, really good thing. But now, if I want to go shopping for war games figures, I'll go to a shop. There's loads of bloody shops. I mean, as I say today, I just drove down to a shop and bought the ones. And at war game shows, it's always just full of people and the stalls are too short. And it's just an unpleasant shopping experience. Whereas when I go to employment, there's plenty of room. I can can chat to people. It's really nice. So in the 80s, that was good and necessary. These days, not so much. Another thing war game shows do, right, is participation games. Participation games. I gained that if you played war games before, you don't really want to play because they're very simplistic and not that interesting, okay? They don't appeal to war gamers, okay? They appeal to my children, which is good, but I'm not going to a crash. I'm going to a war game show. But they don't appeal to anybody else. Ah, people say, ah, but it's all about getting people involved in the hobby, which is the other reason for demonstration games, which is basically a display with loads of people with no social skills sat around it, not talking to anyone, Okay. People that don't play war games do not go to war game shows. They might have done in the past when it was in their local town hall. Okay, they might have been wandering past, but these days they don't. Salute now at bloody what's it called down in the Docklands. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just it's just in a hangar. No one's yeah, going to be Excel. wandering past thinking, "Oh, this looks interesting." Wonder don't, what's don't, going on, on there. Well, actually, it's funny because at the are, same um, time as the marathon. Yeah, um, when you go marathon, to get your stuff for the marathon, I think there's a huge crossover audience between people who do triathlon. No, it's triathlon, isn't it? Not the marathon. No, it's marathon. Because oh, I picked people up my kit at the same time as I went to it's salute. Been triathlon one year. People who do triathlons and marathons are ideal fodder for war gamers. Jim, you, yeah. you've probably only have to concede this scary because, to be fair, if you've got a group of six average war gamers and six average triathletes together in a room, you probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference. So you're right, there probably is a crossover there. But another thing, okay, Beach The level of geekiness, you're probably right. But just be talking about... Talking to Pete, who runs Beachhead. Last time Beachhead run, he he did a whole thing with the local radio and the press to get interest and to get people away. And he basically said, no one turned up that wasn't going to come because they weren't war gamers. So this concept of war game shows to get people involved in a hobby is a nonsense. It's a lie. If you want to get people involved well, in a hobby... Well, that's because it's Bournemouth, and you bring the average age down by about 40 years. That's not true. That's just sort of like a cheap shot at Bournemouth, which is a lovely place, and it's a very young place, and it's really cool, so fuck off. Right, so people don't go to war game <laughs> shows unless they're war gamers. If you want to put on a participation game to get people involved in a hobby... Go to your local library and do on a Saturday when they're open, of course, okay? But now, participation, demonstration games, waste of time. The shopping is a waste of time. Now, 
you might say, and you might all come back at me, and you might say, ah, oh, but I've got happy memories of war game shows. I mean, Pete, that charming story you told of losing your virginity behind Kensington Town Hall at 1986 salute. I mean, that, that was beautiful to hear, okay? That, that was lovely. But that doesn't make war game shows any better now, okay? So I'm not interested in your memories of what happened 30 years ago, because th there might have been a point in the past but these days, they're not. Okay. You've got a better memory than me on that one. Well, he was there. So, you know, one of them. I was like, <laughs> it was you? You had that one week? There as well. Damn. Yeah. Well, it's... it's Does it's, the other bloke remember it as well? <laughs> well, no, it's... He's it's, telling it's, us about it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, it's, it's just... Let, let's not go there, because then we'd have to talk about Tim's experience behind the octagon at Sheffield Triples with the other two... Um, people, which is just like, just this, this, as I say, these, these are stories we shouldn't dwell on. Okay. So war game shows. Is that, does that go into your scale conversation about, you know, scale inflation? I'm just going to walk away from that one, actually. Yeah. 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 Stick on the red wine, Peter. I think that's it. Yeah. So war game shows. Okay. Pointless for shopping because I can go to shops for shopping. Pointless for dem demonstration games because that's just looking at someone looking at toy soldiers. That's kind of rubbish. Pointless for bring and buy because eBay exists. Okay, the world's changed. You don't want to go up and that story of sort of like standing behind Mr. Sweaty Anorak. Okay, you don't want to do that anymore. The world's changed. All the things that war game shows were useful for thirty years ago. They're not useful for anymore, but they've either not changed and died, okay, Sheffield, Sheffield triples, okay, it's kind of died, Northern Military, it's died, or they've changed and they've tried to become something else, and now they're just soulless and a bit rubbish. I mean, it's, um, salute, when it was at Kensington Town Hall, was kind of sort of like nice and lovely, and then it went to Olympia and it got a bit crap. And then it went to that bloody hangar on the, in the Docklands. And it's just, I went there the first year it was there. And it was just like, oh, this is just soulless and it's rubbish and I don't want to do it anymore. And it's like, do you, do you remember the show Armageddon? Okay. What a great name for a war game show, Armageddon. It changed its name to Colours to be more popular. And it's like, it's not about being a big convention and trying to get the crowds in. It's about doing I something unique for war gamers. Uh, I'd like to disagree, but I can't because um, I'm remembering back to the time when you were saying about supposedly, you know, you know, dealing with people who are not war gamers who happened upon. Good for that. I coming in, that you were remembering back to the time you lost virginity, which would be yeah. sorry, Carol. Yeah, my memory's not that good, mate. Um, but however, it did hark back to when people just actually wandered it and were like surprised and interested Horrified. that people were you know and i i just remember you know more recently being in milton Keynes when we have the war games competition in the middle of the shopping center which quite frankly is a little bit weird at times but you have people wander along and ask questions and everything else um but most of the time it's like people are just sort of like going give me that sort of look as though an elephant suddenly appeared in the middle of the shopping center they're not quite believing what they're seeing as they're walking by but I agree, it used to be a bit more of a crossover because it used to be a bit more a niche, but now you've got like, uh, you know, Games Workshop on virtually every high street sort of thing. It's People have seen it, 
they've seen the different stuff about it. They'll know a lot more about it. So they already know then. They almost qualify new. out. It. It's not new. It's not interesting. But that's still all. Everything that other people said is all true about why they're rubbish. Everything I've just said, they're a bit pointless. It's also true of why they're rubbish. But this doesn't get to the heart of I really why I really, really dislike war game shows and get to the heart of why I really dislike war game shows and I don't want to go to them anymore is this. Right, I'm a war gamer. Now, when I say that, I don't mean to say um, I play with toy soldiers, I play war games, okay? Because I drive a car, but I'm not a motorist, okay? I some quite often cycle to work, but I'm not a cyclist, okay? I've been known to make love to the mother of my children, but I'm not a motherfucker, okay? But I am a war gamer. It's, it's part of my identity. It's part of who I am, okay? It's, it's what I do. It's part, part of my life, okay? In a way that driving a car or um, a bicycle isn't. And when I go to a war game show, okay, it's full of war gamers. And for better or worse, these are my people, Okay, because they're war gamers too, same as me. This is about my self-identity. And when I say for better or for worse, I actually mean for worse. Because what I see when I look around is it's holding up a mirror to me. Okay, this is revealing something about me and who I am and what I do. Okay, and I do not like what I see. Okay, it's, it's at other times, at all other times... I can avoid the reality of who and what I am, okay? But when I'm at a war game show, I'm surrounded by a mirror. I can't look away. I'm forced to face the reality of my life. And my God, it scares me. I really, really don't want to see that. And this is a reason why I have no interest in going to war game shows and they should be banned. The end. Thank you. So you've basically got an issue with confronting reality. I, I think I think you're missing. You know, there's a lot of lot of comeback on that one, and I think you nearly no, literally, there there's a lot of comeback points. on that. You're one. nearly there with a lot of points, but but I think you're just missing all the opportunities and maybe kind of working through it backwards. You know that that piece about holding up a mirror. Surely, you know, as as we all look here, um, as the um, I was going to say the boy band, but that's clearly not right. As the hearsay, let's say we're the hearsay of war games when they were young and fashionable and um, and before one of them had become a racist or something like that um, with dogs and things and something to do with um, Australia. But so we, we are the young fashionable um, group of people. So surely you should look on that point of view, you know, even though we're all in our mumble mumbles, um, you should look on the opportunity to go into a war games event and have that regular reminder that that you know you are, are much more beautiful. You're, you've got much fuller head of hair. You're much more charming than all these people. It's a mirror that looks that looks back. And and as long as you um, as you don't actually look too closely in the mirror and squint and, and approach it in a you know an, an air of stygian darkness, there's actually sort of a positive a positive image that can come out of that through through that regular opportunity but, to compare but Tim, yourself. That's, that, that would be true, but what you're actually doing there is what I can do when I'm not a war game show. I'm ignoring the reality of the situation. I can think of me and my personal friends as the, as the boy band of war game shows, and I can also think of you as 
not war gamers. Okay, we've got Tim, the successful businessman. We've got Andy, the lawyer. We've got Peter, whatever it is, Pete does. It's, it's, we got Simon, the computer game. It's, it's all fine, you know what I mean? I can think of you as not wargaming, so I can look away, okay? I can look away from the the dark, black hole in your soul, okay? And if I can look away from the dark, black hole in all your soul, it means I can avoid that in mine as well, okay? Why, why do you regard it as a game. dark, black hole in your soul? Why Sorry? not just, it's a part of you. It's a part Peter, of you. You've not been to some of the venues where this used to be held. No, you go back to the devices. The, the the basement underground where the bar was. That was a bit of a dark black hole. Of the I, side, I never did devices. I, I I did. Excel, I think there's a lot of people who never Sheffield. came back from there. But um, yeah, Adam, let me just. Well, they're buried and leave. If you didn't have war games and the enthusiasm you put into this hobby, yeah. Given the given the year we've just had with lockdown and yeah. COVID and stuff. Do you think your mental health would be better or worse than it is now? Oh no! For having plead war the fifth, games. plead the fifth. No, for having war games. War games is like useful for me. You know what I mean? If, if I didn't have war games, I would probably be I don't know, a serial killer just to get the tension out. So no, yeah, no. Being a war gamer is is but this this year though, Andy. You, I think you're shooting yourself in the foot and arguing with Adam here because this is a year in which we've not been able to go to war game shows and meet anyone else, and we all. But we have spent it. a lot of time playing war games, and that does do something for me in the same way that murdering people does something for serial killers. Just because it does something positive for me doesn't make it a good thing, okay? But you see, the the, the thing for me is I, I'm into a whole bunch of other things, like from like offshore sailing yeah, 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 to various other bits. But the war gaming bit is just a part of me, and it's part of me that I like, I enjoy and it just it fulfills a section on me that is great. And going along to the shows every so often, I see people who are massively into certain things that, quite frankly, I'd never go anywhere near. But it's, it's nice to go and see, and it's good. I, I get a good feeling about seeing other people enjoying other things, which I, I go along and see in Excel. When, and it's like, I, I remember one, which was amazing. There was like a 40-foot whatever presentation of the Battle of Arnhem with all the different bridges, et cetera, et cetera. I was like, oh, I was absolutely bloody amazing. Would I ever want to do it? No. Would I ever want to build it? No. Would I think wargaming it would be fun? No. Oh, amazing. Would you even talk to the people who put the effort in? Would you talk to the people who put the effort in? Yeah, I did. I went and had a chat with them. Lovely people. Fantastic. They t told me how they broke down and they had different battles and everything else and all that. And I was like, wow, that's great. I prefer Again, competition stuff. this... This all sounds convincing because you're convincing yourself. You're, you're giving yourself permission and you're giving yourself that excuse. If you were talking about that, about any other subject or some other subjects, okay, you could say exactly the same thing and you would see the reality of what you're saying, okay? Because you're talking about um, you like watching other people do interesting specialist things. Would you do it yourself? No, but you have fun watching other people do it. Are you talking about wargaming or are you talking about those specialist videos you used to collect? You know, you know what I mean? It's like, it's because it's wargaming, you're excusing it. Okay. I think that description of, um, of demo games was fabulous. You went there, you were very impressed with it. You're really inspired with it. You would, you were so impressed with it. You already said you would never do that yourself ever. 
So from the, yeah. the amount of work that those people have all put in to creating that, to inspire you and motivate you to never do that yourself ever at all. Well, well this like, is why, as, as honestly, club, Central London Wargamers, I like as a club because we go along and it, it's almost like a, a rite of passage about how you minimise the bag or the box that you bring along to play a game because a lot of us go and play international so around around here and it's like how do you do it so you've got the the most impact for the most square inch for when we travel we go game that, that and everything else whereas other people usually have the car with a, that's everything the built antithesis in. of a war game show because a war game I, show I is know, about bringing vans worth of stuff to create spending a whole year to create a whole scenario to fight but something it's, that but it's people what people barely... enjoy it's like when I go to other things, people you're, enjoy Peter, you're some of you my other hobbies. You are not those people. You are absolutely no, not those people. But it is, it's, it's nothing wrong with it. It's just nothing wrong they with get it, their but... enjoyment out of different things. And Peter, again, as long my attitude is, as long as it's consenting adults and no one's getting harmed, none of my bit is fine, okay? They can do what they want. They can do their one-to-one scale version of Arnhem. And if they're enjoying it, I am genuinely, genuinely happy for them, okay? Consenting adults, no one's been harmed. Absolutely fine. But it doesn't mean to say I've got any interest in watching. Um, but, you might, but you might find some game that you do find interesting. And even though you think, well, I could never manage to put that on myself, I did enjoy watching it. I remember seeing a really th- interesting there game are games. That, um, there are Andy, sorry, no, Andy, where, where did you see this game that you were interested in? Uh, it was at uh, Warfare, and it was when? Um, they were doing a, ref- a refight of um, uh, Zeebrugge in 1918 with the ships that crashed into the uh, harbour and then the so, British So you're saying the last interesting fight. demo game you saw was 103 years ago? No. Seeing like in, sal- in Salute, where you have proper demonstration games either done by a club or a manufacturer where there's no trait there's no he buy my miniatures it's here's a big ass table with the battle of you know um banana land versus the republic of, of apples in 28 27.3 mil have a game here's a one page set of rules and show you how the rules work the board games expert was more of here's my uh, here's my uh, wargaming store do you want to buy some miniatures i do i think but I think that brings up a really interesting point about what useful function exhibition demo games play within the hobby. Because, as you say, you know, it is about the Republic of Apples versus the you know the Imperial Emperor of Bananas in twenty seven point eight mil, and someone crafts huge amounts of terrain, and a club lock themselves away for a year, handcrafting perfect, you know perfect terrain it's amazing they've got scenery they've got water moving about there's there's moving pieces there's flashing lights there's explosions the immense amount of effort that the most nerdy and geeky wargamers in the whole world of wargaming have had to put in for the last 12 months in order to get so means that they have been taken out of circulation and have not interacted at all with any of the rest of us, which actually, in terms of the the social milieu of wargamers, has actually improved well, as a group well, our social skills well, Tim, by, l- by l- taking let's some fa- of the most geeky people out facts. of circulation for a year. I think that's a fantastic benefit. Look, look, let's face certain facts. They've got out the way of me doing competition wargaming, so they're not exactly. getting upset that's the win. when that's I'm in good. max and I win. 
All right. Exactly. So let's let's face facts on that. That's a great uh, problem course. with you, Adam. I mean, where do you want to go? No, 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 no. Wait, wait. See, the, the ultimate the thing is, like, is... It, it's it, it's it's a collective that takes them and deals with people in a social understanding that keeps them happy, keeps them isolated, away from them trying to mess Tim, my competition and get upset when I steamroll them. Yeah. The problem, the problem with that argument is, is if they weren't doing it to go to a war game show, they wouldn't leave their shed anyhow. And actually, going to the war game show gives them an excuse to leave the shed. Honestly, now, honestly I, I think I think um, if they want to leave the shed and go to a war game show, that's absolutely fine. I'm just saying that I want no part. games is where there's no information about what the game is who's putting it on no it doesn't even take five minutes to knock up an a4 sign this this such and such a club this is the battle this is war these are rules we're using i think Tanzan, you're, you're looking at you're looking at that the wrong way around really i think what that is it's saying wargaming is a very broad and diverse hobby but there are big pockets of people you absolutely do not want to interact with in any circumstances and what those sorts of games are doing is highlighting and gathering together the yeah. small groups and clubs of people you do not want to talk to and putting a big flag up with them going with the kind of people you don't want to talk to in wargaming and i think that's another thing about wargames events which you know it highlights for you people you don't want to meet and then the other thing adam i think which it does is because they do pull in people just to mooch around even though they don't want anything all those other people you kind of know from competitions or you bumped into or used to go to the club or you know on the internet or whatever, but really you do not want to spend a whole evening with or go out for dinner with or bring your you know better half to meet their better half and the rest of it. You can bump into them at a war games competition and you can have that like three minute conversation of, all right, what are you what are you painting at the moment? Yeah, what are you do? Oh yeah. Battle of Berlingian. Yeah, okay. Oh, and um and, and giant robots, right? Look, sorry got to go i've got to pick up an order from the zeiston stand and so you've got this opportunity to tick box a lot of the the you know the this hierarchy of people that you absolutely don't want to meet and just deal with them in quite an efficient way so as a way of of ticking the box for for social interaction with people you really don't want to interact with the efficiency that you can achieve at a war game show and the quality of that interaction the other people think that they're getting with you is is unparalleled you can't do that on the internet because on the internet you know that you're going to get sucked into a long rambling discussion and three americans are going to come in and start telling you about trump and bombing people and then somebody else from like is going to come and say that you can't do this in this country and then it's all going to go into weird stuff and and you're going to end up talking about brexit and it's going to take months of your life but at a war game show you can tick those people off in the social interaction box very efficiently in great numbers with a ready-made excuse to get out now Tim, so I, I what you said that's win. true but again the floor in is this because what you've said is basically the same thing that happened to me when i used to talk to girls at parties which is this i'd be talking to a girl at the party and she would say oh i've just got to go to the toilet and disappear and never come back again so you're saying it gives you the same opportunity to do that yeah now it does however that girl at the party didn't want to be talking to me in the first place and those people at the war game show, I don't want to be talking in the first place. So if I just don't go to the war game show, I can just ignore them. And Tamsin, you see, and you, I think it's you probably they're going to stalk you on the internet. That's the issue. You're so, so Tim, you're telling me you've got war game groupies. 
This is what you're telling me. Well, I'm, Tim I'm, does that, doesn't we all he? He's like we Mr. All do. Sort of like, yeah. Tim's Mr. Rock do. and Roll War Game star. Yeah, no, Tams has got loads, many more comments on on uh, the Wargaming Girl blog than I get on mine, for sure. So Yeah, but yeah, Tams has got something interesting to say. Yeah, you and, may be right, yeah. Oh, <laughs> the reason I like Wargame shows, A, it gets me out, <laughs> out of the house. <laughs> I get That's to, really worked over the last 12 months, to, hasn't it? A lot of the shows, I get to meet people from around the country that I know, have a chat, have good chats with them. Unlike Tim, my inter- I, lot, most of my interactions... Are, T- tend to be a bit longer, possibly because the people I know aren't quite so bad, or the people who think yeah, they know be, me that might be aren't to do well, so no, my friends. It's, yeah, not that the people. Yeah. it's not the other people, it's Tim. Tim just pretends to yeah. talk to people. That but... could be it. That could be it. Yeah. 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 The other thing I think you've completely missed, Adam, which actually this whole discussion <clears throat> really, really proves is there's two things that wargamers like to do. First of all, they like to be tight and think that they get a bargain. And secondly, they like to whinge about everything and particularly about how much things used to be better in the past and they're not as good as they were, not as good as they are now. And war game shows do two of those things. So people will get on a train, pay for parking, pay for a burger, buy cups of tea, mooch around, deal with the, you know, the toxic fog, all the rest of it in order that when they walk away from Old Glory or Essex with their pack of soldiers that they've just bought, they can go, I've just saved £3.58, which is the Royal Mail small parcels up to two kilograms, um, you know, postage cost. And they go, okay, I'm, you know, I'll wipe out in mentally all the money that's been spent here. So it allows wargamers to tick that deep psychological box to be complete tight bastards even when they're no, buying something and making a saving, which makes no sense at all for a fan. Okay, then my, my final my final point then about why wargame shows are an absolute essential part of the ecosystem is that wargamers have a deep and abiding passion to say this was much better in my day. Absolutely. And wargame shows are literally the physical manifestation, the moment in time at which you can check eyeball right in front of you how much worse and how much more miserable every single thing that you in your own personal little hobby bunker believe is going wrong with the hobby which but i I believe that wargame shows allow wargamers to come and and have some moment in time to whinge about they can look at the manufacturer and say they used to be more they can look and go oh everybody's doing the same figures now they can look at the demo games and oh they're much better in my time they can look at the competitions and go oh those people are really wankers it gives them a chance to whinge about loads of things that they've got opinions about which are utterly wrong all at one time and then it kind of it brings all those kind of whinges back. You're to the saying future. it's cathartic for some people. It's cathartic for all wargamers because we're all a bunch of whingers who think things were much better in, in our day. And then it propels no, conversation on the no, internet I don't for agree. the next few months. I totally disagree on that, Tim. Let me ask you this, Tim. If things were so much better in the past, why do so many wargamers carry on playing? Because the, the longer we carry on playing, the more we can whinge about, to, you know, Playing is an opportunity to meet other people and whinge about how much better things were in the past. To be honest, Andy, the uh, the answer to that's inertia. Yeah, people yeah, do maybe. it because they're doing it. They do it because they're doing it. So look, I think we've um, we probably plumbed the depths of that one um, quite quite plumbingly. 
Um, so <laughs> we better go around the screen and um, say, so Adam, your proposition that war game shows are just a dreadful old waste of time and maybe they served a function in the 70s and 80s, but like the Ford Granada, their day is done and they should be put out to pasture. Um, is that a strong proposition? And, and let's start there. Tamsin, what do you think? I'm sorry, Adam, but I think you're an arse. Mr Finkel? There's no doubt about it. Adam's an arse. He's a miserable git. He needs to chill, chill out and look at a more positive uh, way of life. Uh, Peter, um, bearing well, in mind this is a comedy... Well, we need to shows. Peter. <laughs> yeah, this whole um, thing about this being a kind of comedy tongue-in-cheek feature... Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. Do you, want, do you want to have a go with that? Where do you want to go? All oh, right, chill out, you? guys. Chill out. Yeah. You see, I, I agree with Adam in certain aspects. And I really hate to actually say this because I love competitions. Uh, competitions are my thing. Um, the shows really? are a side level on there. And on that bit, I almost agree with him. But I think it's moving forward. I want 3D printing from uh, designers and developers and manufacturers. And therefore, he's in us. Okay, you're right. Simon, what about you? Regretfully, Adam, you are an ass. I quite enjoy shows. Yes, some of them are a bit dubious and ropey. Yeah, but, but nothing beats, you know, nothing is more enjoyable as a vegetarian going to a wargaming competition, having traveled halfway across the country to look at the food groups and going, hmm, yellow, beige, unidentifiable, and seven pounds. It's for me that really is says everything about the joys of wargaming. <laughs> and I think finally, Adam, I think, you know, I think every single thing you've said is absolutely spot on. You know, the, the, the concept is tired. It's, it's really struggling. There's a lot of things. But I still come down to the fact that if we did not have a chance to all get together and remind ourselves of all those things, we would actually run out of things to talk about with wargaming and, and on the internet. So I think, yes, as a, you know, every single element about them needs a refresh and needs, um, needs a rethink. And there is a lot of turning the handle and doing the same as forever, which is, which is almost a professional opinion there and vaguely getting serious for a while. But I think that, that sort of reset point to, to do that and, and judge the industry is still too valuable. So, on this one, my friend, I think, unfortunately, you are an us. Well, as the Barkery sentence construction of time hits the English language of destiny, I see that that's all we've got time for on this week's episode. So we'll see you next week on I'm Sorry, I Think You're an Us. So with, um, with that mercifully short episode of um, i'm sorry i think you're an ass fading into the background we now come into the um the world of what games have been done so um so andy in in your interaction with other war gamers um which i understand you prefer to keep at a distance um if at all possible possibly separated by an ocean how's how's your week of gaming gone um against mr ray oh it went very well i mean unfortunately for him i mean he obviously wouldn't have approved of his reaction because he was cursing his dice uh, unbelievably, he did a pretty shit dice. And one, on one particular turn, he rolled a one for each commander, which doesn't really help. But um, my Assyrian army beat his, whatever they were, Hurry Mitanni, and shot them to shit and killed them, which is all very satisfying. But he's probably oh. going to get his own re revenge on me this, this week because he's using the New Kingdom Egyptians, fortunately, before they get their armoured chariots. 
against my Syrians. This is a battle of uh, Megiddo, which was about 1247 BC or thereabouts. So he's got a strategist. Yep. Okay. Um, so it's, was there any kind of particular moments in the game other than you know him having terrible dice and swearing a lot? Was there any any clevernesses or actually which, also what troops did you use for the chariots as well? Uh, well, um, I use a standard stock uh, Persian chariots. I mean, I've got this. I found this Persian two chariot model, and that's my light chariot in whatever era I'm using, simply because I can find the bloody thing and relabel it. Okay. You know, we, right. We're normally playing using the top-down view, so you just see the silhouette of a chariot or a blob of guys, so you don't really see what the uniforms are that closely. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I know for you, when you film the games, you 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 show them at the oblique angle, so you've got to they've got to look a bit more like what they're meant to be. But Dave and I don't really get too hung up about that. Yeah, no, no, that's true. Um, okay, well, I think <laughs> Simon, I think you had a game this week as well. Yeah, so uh, Saunders and I had a game of uh, Renaissance. So we we tried the the good old classic game of 30, 30 Years War Swedish. So so Gustavus Adolphus versus the Thirty Years War Germans. So the big Wallenstein, the big the last of the Tercios. So the Swedes have come into Germany to, to pick a fight and say good day, and brought their new fandangled formations and proved yes. They were good. And this is the okay. reason why. So um, it was a interesting game of uh, I deployed. So he, I won the initiative. I was the Germans. Completely misread Davis' deployment. Deployed troops in the very wrong way. Tried to redeploy to try and make a um, create a, a breakthrough. Meanwhile, the Swedish infantry came storming um, across the table. Got stuck into some tercios and cracked. Uh, cracked through them after a little while, so it was quite a quite an interesting game of redeployment. Tercios doing what they could do best. Meanwhile, the the Swedish salvo foot lined it up, good all perfect, and then just charged in, and it was a thing of beauty. Wow. Okay. So big big slam. I, I suspect I um I used some of those figures myself actually because I had a game against Tommy and um in in AGLG um, sort of standard AGLG and I actually took Swiss because that's that's an interesting one to take on tabletop simulator it's it's maybe not the best or you know the most unusual or, or flexible army to take to a, a real event but take it in TTS and um, so I took them um, with about I think I actually managed to get up to about 10 or 11 pikemen and hurled them in three blocks at a um, French um, ordnance French army that had an ally as well and um, it was kind of, again, it, it was a nice, interesting game. I, it was just sort of, I, I kind of feel I have to put troops on table and see how they work before I get a view on using them. And um, what I was really focusing on was the resilience of the Swiss. It was kind of, if I start putting them into a few iffy situations or whatever, but, um, but just using them to grind down um, the opponent and the foot knights and things like that. So, it it actually worked quite well and i i didn't just hurl everything in straight away there was a couple of times when i i waited for a couple of turns to try and rally off some shooting hits on the basis that those elite pikemen can are not going to get hit that often so if they do take um you know take a ding from shooting mm. it's possibly worth rallying and um and i did manage to get kind of the block of solid swiss into 
in a sort of staggered way into um, into all the dismounted footnights, and then also kind of I managed to mug a really big ambush um, of of halberdiers and longbowmen and things that that kind of jumped out of the wood, and my two halberdiers did some pretty bad damage to them as well. So um, it was a really interesting game just to use Swiss, and I'm kind of looking forward once we can all start playing again to actually put some proper proper models on table but but i think by the time we start playing it almost will be v v4 and um, and that probably brings us on to our next section this means war so here we are with the v4 rules which have come out so far on the french bit of the forum so just running through them, um, for starters, the first one to come is for initiative. Three light infantry are now worth one light horse for initiative points. So, Andy, I think you've got a view on this one. Yeah, I, I think that's a very good idea. and it, it makes it attractive to have light infantry, whereas before you might think, well, what's the point? Uh, it would certainly help my early Hebrews. It would, I think, these Mesoamerican armies that we, you, know, you had a podcast about, which was very interesting, I think there that would make a difference you could, because it means that some armies could get one or two more initiative from their light infantry um, contingent, and that might give them a better chance of attacking, which might make it a, a, a more interesting army. Yeah, three, three is an interesting number, isn't it? Because I think a lot of armies have three or four light infantry, but once you get up to six, it's actually quite a lot. So, so to get those extra points is, is suddenly quite hard. You've well, got again, to commit to it. Yeah, but again, some of, some of the biblical armies have got one light horse. So if you've got one light horse and three light infantry, which is probably doable for most armies, it means you can get plus one on the initiative, which is worth having. Yeah. And and some of the armies, you need to take the light infantry, like if you've got some of the heavy infantry stuff, to screen them to get in. There's no way of getting around it. You you need to take that to get your army into contact. Okay. All right. Well, next, next one up... Um, you know, Empire, Imperial Romans, probably early, um, early and middle. So auxiliaries can be heavy infantry now, um, which I think is, I think that's probably sort of a historically justified change that's gone through in some of the yeah. other army rules, other, other sets of rules for quite some years now. Um, there are some infantrymen with two-handed weapon, which I guess is the Palestinian clubmen that were used against cataphracts and stuff. Um so the bowmen, those armoured bowmen, can count as having pavise, um, I guess, to represent their full armour. And there's a new concept of integrated artillery, a couple of units that are allowed to fire over legions and auxilia um, as well. So that's some some interesting cool. stuff for the, the Romans. Um, anybody got a view on that one? What's integrated artillery? Is that incorporated in an infantry or cavalry unit it says it's called integrated artillery there's two units of it it costs an extra point and it's allowed to fire over legionaries and auxilia but it's list Plus light specific. artillery can move and shoot which i think is fantastic because it's it's as though you've got the artillery moving up with you a bit like having the archers but with the hit so imagine you've got your line of romans coming up and you're putting these shots in like um they did in um, south of England when they fired like 600 shots into the different groups. It, it's moving up with it and it makes the, uh, say, early Roman infantry so much more relevant and useful, whereas people used to size stuff around. I don't think it's 
hugely relevant and useful. One thing it does do that I like is it scares the crap out of elephant-based armies, which I think is a good thing. Anything that gives elephants pause for foot. Because if you've got sort of someone that's bringing up light artillery, oh, I'm moving forward, I'm sliding, it's facing your elephant, I don't care if there's a cylinder in front of it, oh, your elephant's been knocked down, I think it's a good thing. Yeah, no, I think knocking a bit off elephants is kind of good. Okay. Actually, the other elephant change... enjoy deploying elephants. I agree with that one. The other elephant change is um, is that elephants in the Seleucid and Ghaznavid armies are no longer elite. They have armour, which gives another dimension to elephants. Um, I think Peter and Simon, you're the, the elephant meisters on the call. Yeah, um, I, I, I see the notice that they've put it on the Ghaznavids because Ghaznavids ended up being the the key army for certain competitions. It got to the point where it's almost boring, where some of the better players were almost like they'll play anything but Ghaznavids because they'd worked that mecha to death. I think what do you think, make, Simon? I think it'll be um, it'll make things rather interesting. I think having different types of elephants rather than everybody brings the elite elephant. Yeah. Having different flavors of it and allowing some armies to be have different flavors will just make some things more interesting. Because I do agree with Peter, it did get to boring to the point of, oh look, it's gonna be this competition. He'll have this this uh, guess of it army. Yeah. You'll have that one. You oh look, guess what? You're exactly per the um, you know uh, standard procedure number two. That's your army list. It was was getting a bit boring. You know, there was a, a Yuan Chinese. There was the Gaznavids and all that. So I think some differences and breaking apart some of those more OTT armies that only ever, we only ever saw one formation of will be really cool. Like Burmese See, Yuan, Khmer Yuan Ally. Chinese wasn't elite though, so. It was ordinary elephants, but it was no, covered but by other I mean, bits. No, but what I mean is um, there were certain armies we only ever saw, or primarily only ever saw, one style of design from. Like, you know, yeah, the Chinese was going to be this, yeah. this, and this. Yeah. No, I, I think it's really, it, bring, it brings, definitely brings more variety, I think. And what's the, ne- the next rule that's come in is that when you're placing terrain, if I get this right, is if one half of the table one player's half has got three more bits than the other half um, during the placement sequence. The next piece has to go in in the emptier bit. So it means like that you that. can't end up with all the terrain on one side anymore. I like that. I like that one. I think it just gives the opponent who has, yeah, if just the way dice falls, sometimes you do get a table where everything is on either one purely on one side of the table and the opponent has nothing it just gives them something to work with useful but it's thing. kind of marginal because those tables yeah. don't happen that often but when they do yeah, yeah yeah and uh, they they happen more often than you think because um it is like how your dice falls but if you've rolled for the dice and you've picked a lot of terrain staff with and it happens to fall some way when they come to put other terrain if you position it correctly it won't actually happen. It, it's not going to end up in those areas. So it kind of restricts it, and it's easy easier to play that, especially in competitions. So it's I actually like that a little idea. more terrain on table, isn't it? Because there won't be the bits that you can't place that just get mm. lost, I guess. Yeah. Um, I think that if it's the idea of if you've got three pieces on the opponent's side of the table, the fourth piece arrives, the defender gets it, I think that's going to be nice. Just to give the table a bit more interest rather yeah. than we've all seen those tables of 
the massive defensive formation and Sod's Law, that's the medium infantry army. They've got all the rough terrain and your Byzantines just look at it and go, well, I'm not going into it because yeah, I'm just going to get mullered. Yeah. Should we go to the pub because we wasted two and a half hours? Yeah. Or the opposite, they've got a medium force of everything. You've got the train on your side and you're the Byzantine army and it's like going, well, I'm going to stop this one in about the first 30 minutes and then they can get a bit of terrain, which makes it a bit more interesting. Yeah. Okay. Next rule then is some um, support, rear support, which has always been too expensive to take, I guess, for the value it gave. So it looks it like that's didn't got give little, any value. It's just got a little bump up now. So it's now always plus one, which I presume means um, that the exclusion for heavy armor no longer applies. You get that against cataphracts and against. Or knights. does it mean every round? No, if it loses the combat. Um, it's but just, if it, it loses the combat every round, round, it used to be just the first round. It, it uh, surely it won't be every round because it is a first round thing. But it would be first round. I think I, my guess is that will mean it's it counts against heavily armored troops. Would be um would be my guess. Um, it removes um, furious charge of mounted. Um, which makes them pretty pokey against mounted troops. And then um, it says archers, crossbowmen and mixed troops no longer have that support. But I don't think archers and crossbowmen had it anyway. It was just mixed units. Um, so If you could units. have that on medium foot, it makes medium foot so much more valuable. If you could yeah. stick support in a few medium foot and you've got um, cavalry charging against it. Yeah. Well, that's your Roman auxiliary, isn't it? That makes them a yeah. bit better. But, but it means that point um, costs... You still don't your... have a factor against knights. Yeah, no. but it, at least it gives some of those units a chance in the hell versus just yeah. being squished. Yeah, just Indeed, being squished. Yeah. And versus then, um, being a road bump. Then classical Indians, the Gupta option, which is mm -hmm. one of the options, you can have some impact cavalry, um, yeah. something like that. Um, I think that's... Um, yeah, the Gupta gets the... <coughs> it's almost getting the Rajput Back to the cavalry, can't they? Already. Yeah, it's getting some Rajput troop type troops for that one, um, which is there. What else is um, happening? I think um, there was armor for light chariots, I think, or some light chariots. New Kingdom Egyptians get armor, which That'd sort of nice. makes them better medium cavalry. If it's only New Kingdom Egyptians, that'll be a little bit disappointing. I think it's a good idea, but just limiting it to New Kingdom Egyptians would be a little bit disappointing. Maybe there'll be others. I'm, I guess. Um, it'd be nice to make the, my my. It would be sorry. It would be nice to make my new kingdom Egyptians a little bit more survivable because I know some of the games have had they do get steamrolled in period. Yeah. No. No. That was a um. That was a. That was an absolute big difference. So I think that's almost all. What's um. Oh yeah. And then impetuous charges are not. Um. You don't go against troops that would panic them. I don't. I think that only means camels have just been added to the list that people that will stop impetuous charges. Um, um, but, yeah, people were gaming it about moving stuff in to draw in impetuous charges from stuff that shouldn't. Yeah, so that's kind of smoothed some stuff out. So, mm. so on balance, then there's nothing. You know, they all feel kind of good and positive and sort of small and, but still in, small but significant. Perhaps is probably the best way of putting it. Thought out, I think, is the word. Uh, I yeah. think is the phrase. They'd actually. Um, when they were testing the rules, they tested it out with several gamers and several groups. It wasn't just one guy thinking about it. So um, they've gone back and forth a few times. So I'm, I'm quite pleased about most of that. Oh, that's good then. Okay, well, good news. And um, I guess we'll see the drip feed and quite soon we'll see the actual real thing, won't we? By the 19th. This means war.
Well, look, with um, with all the excitement over the Gallic world of V4, I think it's time for the Gallic world of um, V, Vive la Techno. So, and as we hit the music for Andy's quiz. Finkel, I hear. Um, well, you've obviously got some answers from last week for us first, and then mm-hmm. we've almost have we got a choice of quiz questions this week? Yes, you've got a choice this week. All right, well, I let's let's to... have the choice of the answer, the choice answers from the choice questions last week. Right, last week's questions were about carry on cruising, and the first question was when Lieutenant Helmut von Mucker's ship was sunk when he was leading a shore party. He led his landing party across thousands of miles of ocean in an open boat, then through a large area inhabited by hostile tribes, and eventually back to German via Constantinople after many months of travel. What was the name of the ship of which von Mucha had been first lieutenant? I think it might have been the Emden. That's right. Ooh. Well, good answer. Pulled out, pulled out the bag. Yeah. Must have been a bit of a, a shock, though. You're, you're, you're on a landing party trying to, you know, capture the local rail wireless station, and then your ship buggers off and is sunk. And, you know, oh, yeah. crikey, here I am, thousands of miles from anywhere. But uh, fair play to him. He got back to Germany. Quite an impressive guy by the sound yeah. of it. The second question was, who served with two navies in the First World War, ended the war as a prisoner of war after his submarine was sunk, and decades later rose to be commander-in-chief of his country's navy. Anyone know? Well, we'll be doing it. Dernitz, that's right, yes. Yeah, oh, Turkish that's Navy. There was a bit of editing last week, Tim. Yes, yeah, it was in the Turkish Navy, wasn't he? That's Having right. The, the, the ship he was on, the Breslau, became commissioned in the Turkish Navy, it's called the Medili. And it had lots of different action. It was got quite a bit of activity until it was sunk in 1918 by hitting three mines or something. Okay. The third question is, when Manwickham Musgrave who later rose to the rank of commander, was on three British cruisers torpedoed on the 22nd of September, 1914. What was the nickname given to this force? The nickname? The nickname of the The official name was was Harwich Force. It was based in Harwich, yeah, that that part of the world, yeah. Um, It became known as the Live Bait Squadron. Ah. (laughs) Okay. Something yeah. he was, and, and most, most he was of the only time a midshipman at the time, wasn't he? I believe so. He's, he was yeah. born in 1899, so he was probably a midshipman. Yeah. But, um, they they normally had an escort of destroyers and lighter cruisers, but when the weather got rough, these ships had to go back to port. So there was just these heavy cruisers sailing on their own, and they were, um, you know, mullet. Mullet, yes. Mm. Okay. Absolutely. Right. Anyway, now when you've done the musical interview. I now have a choice for you. You can have choose between down Mexico way or what's it like out? I think Mexico. I'm I'm all over Mexico. Yeah, we want um. We want the tequila. We want the tequila. Right, okay. Yeah, tequila. Well, so, so we'll do. Or what's it like out next week? Okay, but this week's questions are about down Mexico way. 
uh, inspired by the Mesoamerican podcast. Yeah. Okay. So the first, you're trying, you're trying to work out what what's the like out is all about, aren't you, Tim? I can tell. Yes. Um, <laughs> but the first question is: During the Battle of San Antonio in 1836, which helped to secure the independence of Texas from Mexico, how did the Texians generate surprise when they attacked the Mexican army? Okay, interesting one. Right. Question two. How many presidents of the USA served in the US Army during the Mexican-American War of 1846 to 1847? That's a fairly small um, time period, so I'm guessing not many, but we'll find out next week. And the third one is, in January 1917, the German foreign minister sent a telegram to the German ambassador in Mexico offering the Mexican government support to recover Arizona, Texas and New Mexico if they joined Germany in attacking the USA. The telegram was in intercepted by British intelligence and passed on to the US government. What was the name given to this incident? Okay, well, let's hope it's a, let's hope it's a smutty name and um, there's a bit of a double entendre pun there. But, um, but when on that note, I think it's time to pull in the music. Okay, well, look, with the quiz music receding into the background, we've just got time for a six strong run around the, um, the Zoom screen to say what's going on in the next week. And um, Adam, what, what have you got um, on your paint table, on your wargaming table next week? Or is, is work going to come and, you know, actually it's Easter, isn't it? But maybe, maybe yeah. it's some time off. Is, is um, real life going to come and stop you painting? Yeah, um, ships and the kids are going to be off school soon. So I'm going to be busier than when I'm at work, to be perfectly honest. So. <sighs> Painting exactly. ships, see if I can dry, dry brush them nights. Yeah. Okay. What about you, Peter? What in your um in your Docklands fastness? Um, I'm going to be actually trying to ensure the dog doesn't go anywhere near my Polish uh, lancers and actually stick stuff down and use the interlude of having a four-day weekend to actually spray some damn stuff and do some painting. So sticking dogs, sticking dogs down counts as a cruelty. Yes. No, it doesn't if you actually get into play fetch at the same time. Okay. It's it's just Zerodite. Really yeah, I've got plenty of time to run away. It's like ninety minutes until the thing starts. Just super glue the dog down. That's the secret, probably. That might be the answer. Yeah, the, the, I I think I'd find myself being super glued down by my boys. So it's yes, like yeah, things it. I don't do. Okay, Tamsin, what about you? It's, so it's undercoating and then launching to Paris. Undercoating. Well, priming for uh, for US and Polish Paris, and then we'll probably do some test figures on the US Paris. Paint the Polish Paris and then do some more experimentation on the US Paris. Right. Paint Just right. painting Polish Paris in the, have they got the smocks? Because that's yeah, a full time job. Side. So it's basically what I've done with my previous Paris, but with uh, black Paris. All right, you're copying. Your previous it. Paris, how many Paris have you got? What, the US Paris? Have you got a para fetish? Um, yeah, I might have an airborne fetish, yes. Yeah. That's it. All right. Um, well, what's we're airborne then? Um, we'll go flying down to Mr. Finkel. What um, you've finished your stuff? What are you? Um, what are you up to this weekend, paint-wise, or um, next week, the next seven well, days? It's probably going to be almost certainly finishing off, which I've nearly done. These uh, Saracen bone men, 
then I've got to think about what to do next because I've got one 50 mil project left, which is the uh, Ottomans, uh, Renaissance Ottomans, or else I go to the 10 mil World War II stuff, including sticking together some of the Victrix uh, uh, 144 um, tanks and Thanks. things. Okay, so we'll find out which direction you've done by um, by next week. Possibly. Yeah. Quite possibly. Simon, what, what about you? What's coming up next week for you? More Greeks. So probably yes, I can see on my, um, my, my table, pike, pike, and more pike. Pike, 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 pike. And maybe and some hopper lattes. Okay. And, and I think I will, I, I will try and get the Thracians done. I think they're closer. And that could be my, my project to try and finish over Easter because I think I've committed to using them in, um, in York. And okay, that is two months away and there's still a whole new set of rules to come out. But, but it would be kind of nice to get them done, really, just because I feel like I should achieve something. So, um, so there's certainly that to do as well. Whilst we will, by the time this next one comes out, we will be even closer to V4 and we'll learn even more about it. So I think on, on that note of anticipation, we will all go away to our, um, our own private war games bunkers um, and either not go to shows or not on the way and, um, and be ready to um to wait for it next week so goodbye everybody goodbye goodbye all right hi everybody gamers funk if when you're at salute if you pops around to where the marathon runners are you smell the runners funk it's actually as bad this means war